Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. We welcome a wide and exceptionally impressive array of guests, business leaders, HR leaders, academics, practitioners, consultants, and authors to talk about the most timely, relevant, and challenging issues that are influencing the workplace today. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. This episode of At Work in America is brought to you by our friends at Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and software solutions for businesses of all sizes. COVID-19 has completely changed how many people work, and lots of job seekers are reevaluating their priorities, and that makes it more important for employers to find new ways to keep them supported and engaged. Paychex took a look at this problem and surveyed more than 600 HR leaders and 2,000 employees at businesses across the U.S. to find out what employers are getting wrong when it comes to the needs of their workforces. For a look at why employees say they're leaving their current companies and what you should be thinking about in order to attract and retain your best talent, you can download the findings from Paychex at payx.me slash attracting and retaining talent. All right. Welcome back to At Work in America with Trish and Steve. Trish, we have a great show today. It's a subject we just figured out we haven't talked about in about five years or so, four or five years on the show. And it's worth revisiting for sure. And it's about supporting veterans in the workplace and in the workforce, right? And helping veterans uh, succeed, make that transition from service to the civilian workforce and helping them succeed in their roles and getting, uh, helping uh, what employers can maybe even do to get connected with veterans. So it's a great topic and I'm super excited for it today. Yes, me too. I hadn't uh, realized it has been that long. So high time that we did this. Yeah, let's get on to it. We'll we will welcome our guest. He is Greg Paglieri. He is uh, the CEO of Ramstead Technologies Group US. He is responsible for day-to-day operational leadership and strategic direction for Ramstead's professional staffing and solutions, including the technologies, engineering, life sciences, and seller line of businesses, as well as the company's technology consulting brand, Celerity. Supporting Ramstead globally, Greg manages the Ramstead offshore services teams to bring efficiencies and deliveries back to the U.S. market. Starting his career with the U.S. Marine Corps, great, that's why we have him on the show to talk about this topic, I think. Uh, After college, Greg has uh, since spent the last two decades in professional staffing, IT managed services, management consulting. Ah. Uh, Greg, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, great to have you. We're really excited for the topic. Great to have, boy, Branstead, by the way, just as an aside, like I, moved a lot, we were all in Asia a couple of years ago, Trish, remember we were in China and like one of the I best do. presentations we had like in the entire session was from a Randstad exec in Asia Pacific, like talk about 100%. You know, like a, small, a big slash small world at the same time. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think about that, that, that all the time. Um, so Greg, welcome to the show. Uh, Love for you to maybe share a little bit about. Uh, look, I read your professional bio, right? It's really impressive, et cetera, et cetera. Let's maybe, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like your story, right? How you sort of getting back to maybe uh, what connected you to this topic. Obviously, you were Marine Corps uh, for 11 years, you transitioned out of the Marine Corps. Kind of maybe some of the steps you had to take in making that transition into the civilian workforce. Obviously, you've been really successful at it, but uh, it must have been an interesting kind of transition for you. And I'd love for you to maybe share some of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's a tie. You know, I was just joking with someone earlier. There's a lot of things um, nowadays that 
make me recognize my age or my experience level. And when I start thinking about my military experience, I, feel, I still feel like it was yesterday, but uh, crazy enough, it's, it's a little over 20 years uh, since I was actually in the Marines. And, um, but it was a, uh, nothing was, was probably more crystal clear is, uh, in two ways. My, my entry into the military um, the reasons why, uh, I pursued it. And then also the reasons why I departed. Um, you know, there's, I think many of us in managing our careers and making, you know, important decisions in our lives. Um, some are more crystallized than others. And, uh, I think fortunately for me, both of those key decisions, you know, really came very naturally. So, um, yeah, you know, I, um, I, I didn't have, uh, like, you know, my father wasn't in the military. I mean, you know, I had grandfathers that were in World War II, certainly grew up during a time period of patriotism in the 80s and the Cold War. Um, but, you know, I didn't have an interest in military academies or ROTC, but I found myself in college um, after a couple of years doing well, but just kind of feeling unfulfilled. Um, you know, I played a lot of sports in high school and you know, now I was at a bigger college with much more competitive sports and that wasn't really there for me. And, you know, I was kind of just doing my thing. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, some good friends of mine alerted me to some opportunities uh, in a program in the Marines that was still very light responsibility in college. But if you got accepted into the program, you could go to officer candidate school between your junior and senior year of college. Um, and if you're you know, if you make it through and, and you really like it, you can actually get commissioned as a second lieutenant and, and join the Marines as an officer. And I took that path and it absolutely, you know, filled that personal void, right? I, I was looking for something bigger. Um, I wanted something more meaningful. Service certainly was in my background and upbringing and um, in the Marine Corps couldn't have been a better situation and experience for me. And I, and I actually was, I was, I was in for four years. Um, and I was also very lucky during that period of time, it was before September 11th. So it, although, you know, we were, I was an infantry officer. Um, I was deployed in, uh, in Asia and Okinawa and Korea several times. Um, but it was a different world, right? We were, we were preparing for threats in the world, but, nowhere near uh, the, the military service men and women uh, experience, you know, from 2001 till today. Um, and, you know, again, I, I had a, a, an amazing experience, a learning. Um, it's interesting too, you talk to a lot, of, a lot of folks that were in the military, we glamorize, we, we, we remember all the great parts. Um, often we forget about some of the things we really didn't like. But as I uh, kind of got to that, my third or so year completing that time period, just like any organization, there's, there's programs and methods for what, what's next, right? So if you're gonna take that next step uh, in, in the military, in this case, the Marine Corps, what are those options for you? Uh, if you're gonna transition out, you know, what are those options for you? And this is probably what I would say my biggest kind of disappointment or frustration uh, with the military and the Marine Corps. And in, in some ways it's improved, but it's still a big, big challenge 
and a big opportunity for improvement um, is you don't really have a lot of control on what your next step is going to be. And, and for me, in a time period, this was, you know, the late 90s, um, dot com is booming. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities in the private sector. I just didn't have enough trust or confidence that I was going to be able to advance my career in the military in the areas that I wanted to. And, and again, like I said, unfortunately, a lot of fellow serv servicemen and women experienced that. Um, but for me, when I say it was clear, you know, because of that element, I knew that I wanted to kind of disrupt myself, challenge myself, get into the private sector, where I did feel like I would have more control to decide what I wanted to do, you know, and, and what would be the best way to go about that. Um, and, I, and I use this as an example, because again, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I was in a position where uh, my wife uh, was a, a nurse and we were newly married and I was able to go full time to business school because I wanted, you know, kind of a, a, a bit of kind of guardrails in my transition to the private sector. So rather than just kind of taking the first job that was out there because companies love hiring junior military officers, you know, and even again, 20 years ago, um, there were programs, there were sales training programs, there were, you know, different types of opportunities that companies had, but they sounded a little too, you know, static or, you know, not really what I wanted. So I said, let me invest more in education and training, prepare myself, maybe learn more. And again, I was able to do that, um, which was a huge advantage because now I had two years, number one, to really kind of enhance my business skills, which, you know, I didn't get in the military and I wasn't an undergrad in business. I was a poli-sci major. So, you know, what do you do with that? Um, and uh, I found myself though, struggling with how am I going to find a role though, that is gonna be as rewarding as what I had, you know, what I felt in my core and my heart, you know, serving my country, right? Sure. Being alongside my, my, my peers, my teammates, the ability, the, the opportunity to lead, um, be responsible for, for, for people. It was, you know, so there's so much gravity to that. So I, I then did go through a little bit of a struggle in selecting, but I, I, I honed in on that service and that's what got me into professional services, right? So I was able to kind of rationalize that, okay, I know I want to kind of get into business and this idea of serving clients and helping them improve and become better organizations really kind of fit that. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll stop there if that kind of helps from a kind of a historical perspective. No, that's great. It's such a great story. And that's the, that's the main reason that we wanted to have you on the podcast. Um, first of all, Greg, thank you for your service to the country. I mean, that's a huge sacrifice to begin with. Um, I know that Steve and I probably both have 20 questions, right, uh, about sort of this transition and, and how things are now. But before we change gears, before Steve changes gears, I do want to ask one question. You mentioned early on in the story, um, you know, the level of commitment 
that you had to the Marine Corps, for example, because it was a meaningful way to give service to others. And one of the things that strikes me is you talked about there were parts of the job you didn't like, but you were still really committed to the Marine Corps at that time. Could you maybe talk a little bit about what makes that different? And, and the reason I ask is my ex-husband is, is still a Marine, right? Once a Marine, always a Marine. Right, um, yeah. but, but every Marine I've met, there are a lot of Marines in my family um, historically as well. And, and there was always this talk about how the Marine Corps not only recruits you, but once you're in, even though there might be some very bad, scary, horrible parts that you have to, to have in your career, um, there's still this really strong level of commitment. Can you maybe talk about how that um, is different for the Marines as an organization? Yeah. Well, I would say, yeah, definitely different, distinct, but I would say similar to just other strong, thriving organizations that have been around for hundreds of years, right? And there, there are real ones um, in, in the United States and across the world. And I think it's that it, it starts with core values, right? It starts with a clear mission, right? And, it, and these are things I think the military does very well. And, and obviously I'm biased, but I think the Marine Corps does it better than any of the other services. Um, Says and, every other Marine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, and, it, and obviously it's, it's, you know, it's real, right? When you have that much of a consistent uh, voice or following, you know, from that standpoint, but there's, you, you spend so much time understanding, learning, appreciating, appreciating the history, you know, um, Good point. Uh, and I think that that's, that's overlooked a lot in the, in the, in the business world, or you mentioned earlier, Steve, with my background in management consulting, that was the first thing I did out of business school for, for about four or five years. And that was a fantastic opportunity because I got to work with so many different organizations, you know, and I saw some really good things and I saw some really weak things. You know, so to your point, Trish, it's, you know, why is it different? I just think they do it very well, um, you know, the and, and, and you'll hear words like esprit de corps and, you know, the belonging and the, the brotherhood, but it's just, it's based off of that history, right? And then there's, there's, um, you know, a lot of ritual in a sense of every Marine goes through the same type of training and, you know, indoctrination. Um, and again, these have been improved and evolved over time, but there's, you know, just these central elements that are, that have stood the test of time. Um, so I think when you have, you know, and again, I've seen it so many times in business, um, companies that try a million different things and change their hiring profile, uh, you know, every, every quarter or, or tinkering with their, their strategy or their direction and, and haven't really found, okay, here's, here's our core focuses and, and, and these should be our core capabilities. And this is the value that we bring. Um, even, even though they may be successful, right. You know, they, they may be successful out of the gate, but they don't have that foundation. And I, and I think that's one of the key strengths, you know, of an organization like the Marines. Thank you for mentioning that, especially the part about the history and ritual, because as you said that, I thought, wow, that seems so obvious. But when you really think about, especially in the corporate world, you don't see that as much, at least in the companies I've worked for. I don't know that we've ever really 
dove into the history and how we got where we are and, you know, why that's important that you're joining that sort of richness that you are, that rich culture. So, um, so thank you. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and well, I think some of it is too, Tricia and Greg, some, so many organizations these days are so short lived, right? And every right. year someone will, when the fortune 500 list gets published annually, right? Someone will create that analysis that says, oh, you know, only four of these companies were in the fortune 500, you know, 50 years ago, whatever the number is. It's, it's like that kind of thing too. There, there's right. certainly a lot more, um, dynamism and churn, et cetera. And, and the ones that last are real, they're, they're few and far between, but they, they do last for a reason. Uh, and I think there are some parallels, uh, there as well. Um, so great. Thank you for sharing so much about your story and kind of your, your history and your background. And it does shed a lot of light, I think, on why this is an important topic for you and, and, and then writ larger uh, Ronstadt as well. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what's happening for, for veterans sort of today, right? We know there's lots of stories about no one can find workers, right? 11 million or so open jobs in the U.S., right? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's an all-time record. Unemployment really, really low, right? Nearing the uh, pre-pandemic uh, uh, era low uh, prior to the pandemic, at three and a half percent or so. But yet lots of veterans out there struggle. Uh, it sounds like, uh, it seems like, and we know this, yep. right? Getting transitioning out uh, of service uh, into into the civilian workforce. Uh, Greg, I, I'd love for you to maybe just give us a couple of thoughts on why do you think that happens? And then maybe we'll get into some of the things that employers can do about it. And, and some of the things Randstad is doing actively to try to try to help these folks. Yeah, I think that when I, when I get that question, I, I say my answer or my, my commentary around that has changed uh, over time or certainly over the you know, past several years. And I've, and I've become uh, a little bit more knowledgeable on, as I mentioned, you know, the impact though to our, our, our military members you know, post 2001, right? Okay. You know, the amount of combat, uh, type of responsibility that has occurred. The, the, so, so when I say I changed my answer, I, I, I start with the fact that we have to recognize, you know, and, I, and I, I, I think these numbers are pretty accurate, but I, I wanna say it's reported like over four, I think it's over 400,000 um, military servicemen and women have experienced PTSD or TBI, traumatic brain injury, uh, from, you know, I think, I think it's like from 2004 to 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a daunting number, right? Sure. And so you have to, you can't really start anywhere with thinking about uh, skills and training programs and transition, you know, without recognizing that massive obstacle. Uh, and that's probably doesn't do it justice. So, you know, that, 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 that's kind of point number one, as far as the challenge. Um, and then, it, because I, I don't think that people are, it's surprising. I think, you know, yeah, you, you hear about it. There's some great organizations out there like the Gary Sinise foundation. And, um, you know, there, 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 there's many, there's many that, that we work with, um, that really, um, you know, wounded warrior, um, and people have awareness but I, but I don't think they recognize that, you know, you have these, you know, proud men and women standing aside you that have veteran backgrounds, military backgrounds, and now they're looking to enter the uh, civilian workforce or the private sector. 
and they bring the baggage of war. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that recognition is number one. And you know, so 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 what do we do about that? You know, I think it's companies again want to do the right thing, want to leverage this channel of highly motivated, you know, highly disciplined, you know, trained in specific fields, could be technology fields, could be leadership, could be HR. Um, mm-hmm. um, so there, there's great value in that, but it's not, you know, a simple, uh, straightforward, easy transition. So are they creative enough? You know, do they change their approaches to how they bring folks into their organization or are they kind of stuck with, well, this is how we hire you know, this is what we're looking for. Um, this is the programmatic type approach we have. And I don't know that that necessarily uh, lines up, you know, as, as well as it could or should for veterans. Yeah. You know, before we get into some of the specifics that Steve mentioned, you know, with Randstad and what you're doing there, could you just give a, a brief answer on this part and follow up to what you just said? Whenever someone is transitioning out of the military, whatever, you know, branch of service that is, do you know, is there any kind of training to get them ready from a work perspective to enter civilian workforce? Because it can be different, right? Everyone isn't sort of following orders as rigorously. And would you say, is there training needed then on the receiving end as well? Should we be doing more as human resources looking at if we are wanting to seem more welcoming to, uh, you know, our, our future employees who have served in the military. Have, have you seen great. training on either, either side there? Sure. Trish, this is, this is, this is at the crux or, or kind of the, the core of the issue. And it's that the, the military, again, I'm not an expert, you know, it's been 20 years. I still obviously work closely with a lot of the organizations and, and we work very closely with veterans. So, you know, I, I put a little bit of a disclaimer and I don't want to discredit some of the good work that the military does do or attempts to do, but I would say, you know, kind of overarching comes up short, right? You know, it's, it's their mission is to train and prepare their people for, you know, their, their main focus in, in their roles and their jobs. Uh, yes, of course, they want to see successful transitions, but it, it, doesn't necessarily get the same level of attention and, and focus that, you know, the, 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 the previous portion that I mentioned. Um, are, so the, yes, there are programs, um, but I don't think they're as robust or as rich and, and they're limited. Right. Uh, so to your point, yes, that's, it, it's kind of the bridge that needs to be, you know, it, it needs to be modernized, um, you know, or we need, stronger bridges and wider bridges, you know, with more pathways. And that needs to connect both from the military and the, the corporate world um, in order for it to be more effective, for sure. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Right. You think, great. The, the military uh, service is really, they're ready, designed to get ready for that next mission, right. That's coming up or the one that they don't know that's coming, which is going to come in inevitably and right. Supporting folks after they've transitioned out. It's yeah. You'd wonder where that falls on the priority list. It, it's probably somewhere, but it's probably not <laughs> near the top. Right. And I, I, I get why that makes sense uh, that that's the case. 
Um, Greg, I want to uh, pivot just a little bit to talk about Randstad a little bit and what Randstad is doing specifically in this area, right? Because uh, uh, Randstad, we <laughs> mentioned at the top, right? Big global firm uh, all over the world, just uh, helping organizations of all kinds and all sizes, right? Meeting their talent needs. It's a, obviously a huge challenge everywhere, right? For any type of talent, but uh, specifically around uh, making these connections between employers who ultimately, right, are the Randstad clients, right? Uh, and and these um, uh, transitioning service members getting back into private sector or civilian workforce. And, and you've seen, it seems like you've seen that as an opportunity and a challenge and, and, and you've done some specific things uh, in this area. I'd love for you maybe to talk a little bit about them and maybe what folks who uh, are HR people or business leaders who are listening to this show can, can maybe take away from some of the things you're doing and what what they can do themselves to try to help uh, help uh, you know make make these connections. Absolutely, no, absolutely, Steve. And, and and one thing I'll just I just want to add to the question you had earlier, Trish, about organizations and and why you know does the Marine Corps have a bit of a reputation uh, for the strength and the and 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 the camaraderie and the history? Ronstadt is a great example, though, of being formed on core values and a 65 year history and a founder, you know, who is still very, uh, our founders, uh, you know, elderly now, but the fact that he started, you know, a company that has now become a global, you know, fortune 1000 organization, uh, riding his bicycle, uh, to ensure that one of the new, you know, talent, was going to be able to make it to their client um, and, you know, start their first job. Um, and, you know, there's, there's that kind of history uh, that is still kind of permeates throughout the organization today around providing opportunity for people and talent. And, and, and that's been key. So how do we take that forward and ensure that we're addressing such an important part of the workforce in veterans you know, we realize, we realize that we, we have to invest in this. We can't, you know, just be on the peripheral or, or say we're, we're supportive um, and, you know, and, 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 and think that that's going to achieve, you know, the, the mission or close the gap. So we created a veteran center of excellence uh, within the Ronset Technologies Group. We brought in people that came from different organizations that specialized in upskilling and training, you know, specifically for veterans. Um, and we knew that uh, the technology field is so talent deprived and, you know, talent scarcity is such a, you know, giant, giant challenge. It's that you talk to most, any, you know, CEOs and CIOs, they'll tell you their, their biggest challenge is talent. And then when you dive into the, the tech space, it's 100%, you know, the, the number one issue for growth. Yet we have such a, a willing uh, participation group of the workforce being veterans coming out. So the Veteran Center of Excellence really, you know, at its essence is working directly with organizations and saying, how can we customize solutions and, and, and a pipeline of talent for you? And we need to work together you know, to understand in some ways it may not be traditional, right? They, I think, you know, some of our conversations earlier, um, they may not have, you know, some of the immediate skills that you need. So can we partner together and 
co-develop an apprenticeship program, you know, and here's what we bring to the table as far as the hard skill training and the, and the technical training that we can provide. And we partner with universities and colleges and, and technical organizations to do that. Um, we also work the same way with soft skills. Um, and, but we, we try to do that as much as we can with that kind of co-sponsoring uh, organization, really, you know, our end client, but the, the future home for uh, the veteran. And that has been tremendously successful. Uh, and, you know, there's some fantastic companies out there, Cisco in particular, that we work very closely with, um, you know, and, and we've, we've even gone into fields like cybersecurity and we've built programs very, uh, you know, technically oriented, uh, which I think 10 years ago, people, you know, would have said that, how's that going to work? Um, or maybe, yeah, but it's going to be such a small portion of the population. Well, you know, we've expanded that considerably. Um, so, you know, that it, it's apprenticeship, mentorship, I, those words, I think get used a lot or they, they can sound soft, but it's, that's really what we're talking about here. Um, you know, so again, things that for hundreds of years, right, organizations have had some version of that. Um, but I think in more recent times, the, the speed of business, right, the demands of business and especially uh, results and corporate quarterly earnings and, you know, it's everything is now, now, now. So I can only hire the person who's ready to go right now, now, now. Um, well, that's, you know, we've got to change that. We've got to continue to try to shape that. Uh, one, because we, we have this huge scarcity issue and we have a big population of already ready to go people. We just got to get organizations to, you know, really cooperate and understand in order to get the benefit of it. And that's, that's what our Veteran Center of Excellence is, is aimed at. Yeah, you, Greg, you made a great point. Uh, you mentioned cybersecurity. I, I can't remember the number, so I won't try to guess at it, but I just read a piece about how it was in the millions, right? That was, I know it was in the millions, like of how many trained cybersecurity professionals that industry in general is going to need over the next, uh, let's call it decade or so, right? And whereas I think you're right, Greg, in saying most organizations want to hire that person who's ready to go, right? As soon as they uh, step into yeah. the door, the truth is they can't find them, right? Whether right. it's cybersecurity or even truck driving, right? I don't care what the I don't care what the field is right now. Certainly, a lot of the technical fields and the manufacturing types of roles, there just aren't people out there who are ready to go right out the door. So, um, getting involved in uh, uh, these kinds of programs, like through the Center of Excellence, makes perfect sense for for the organization. I would think. Oh, completely. And and here's a here's another thing that kind of get your head spinning a little bit. Um, but in some ways. Talent, talent scarcity, especially in the tech fields, is actually can be an accelerator for groups like veterans because it is it is it is put you know the the global economic industry um, on you know turned upside down in the sense that we can't operate the way we used to. Um, so we have to we have to train, we have to upskill, we have to bring in people you know, that don't have a hundred percent of the skill. And then you combine that with 
you know, again, the great organizations that we work with, the great clients that we have, they want diversity. They, they want to open up these channels. So there's a desire to, I feel like more than anything, it's, it's just enabling in that, it's unlocking that and ensuring companies like Ronstad, you know, as we're the largest HR services provider in the world, right? If not us, who, right. you know, are going to be at the forefront of developing the models, the mechanisms, you know, these, these talent streams for organizations to, to, you know, benefit from. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, Greg. And I think the other thing too, you mentioned if they, even if they don't have maybe all the, they don't meet all the hundred percent of requirements, right. But they are probably going to come in really high on the things like commitment, leadership, follow through some of the things that are very difficult for employers to measure. I'd rather hire someone all day long. Like that's a big one, honestly. But I, I mean, I don't mean, right? I don't mean to be flippant, but that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather hire someone who I know has a history of that type of work performance and commitment and, and train them right um, oh. into, into what I need them to do rather than have someone maybe that on paper has a hundred percent of the, you know, the technical skills. And I have no idea what kind of commitment they might have or what kind of um, just leadership skills or, you know, some of the other things that you might get from hiring a veteran. Spot on, you know, absolutely spot on. And I think, again, it's, it's the education, it's the, it's the communication, it's, it's building talent pools so that organizations can see what's possible uh, really is what, is what enables and opens that up. Well, I think right now it's just, it's being very intentional about that too. You know, we had the luxury maybe, a decade ago, not to have to actively be thinking as HR professionals, like, oh gosh, where now can I look for, for employees, right? People were coming to us. And so now that it's sort of flipped, um, we really do have to be creative. And, and it is our obligation to make outreach to different types of, of workers um, that we maybe we haven't even thought of pursuing before. So I no, think this that, is a I mean, great way that, to partner with you. I just think that's a great point too. I mean, let's be, let's be honest as, you know, kind of professionals in this space. I don't know that I would put, I would say HR or procurement groups are high on the creative, you know, no. scale, right? Well, we didn't uh, have to be, exactly. you know, our job was more around compliance and doing things the way that they had been established. And again, ourselves probably as rule followers more than, out there being innovators, but that, that too has changed over the years. I think for the better, that well, you, you have to get be business, more creative. Right. And you got to get your business partners, you know, to, to be on board and support that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it's a much improved environment. Um, and I think it just, it'll, it will continue to, um, and it has to. Greg, last thing I wanted to uh, ask you, or just maybe we could talk about briefly is, just uh, what have you seen uh, either through the, the work that Ronstadt's done with the Center of Excellence or some other programs you've done or uh, partnerships or perhaps relationships you've developed with some of the other veterans uh, support organizations? You mentioned Wounded Warrior, um, Hiring Our Heroes, et cetera. There's a lot of them out there. What are some of the things maybe that e- either you've learned through Ronstadt or you've learned through working with these other organizations that can really, I don't know, help uh, facilitate kind of uh, the the exiting service members sort of get themselves sort of prepared. You were, you mentioned you were fortunate enough to have a little time and, and you went to business school and got you really sort of set up. Maybe not everyone can do that. So what are some of the things that that can can sort of help uh, folks manage themselves through this transition? 
Yeah, I think, and, and again, I, you couldn't be more on point, Steve, with, I think, you know, one of the challenges is awareness, you know, recognizing that there are so many of these fantastic organizations designed specifically for this, um, but it's ensuring that that's accessible, that, you know, people, uh, let, 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 me, let me add to this. There is a personal responsibility here, though, that is also very important, right? There's whether you're coming out of the military or you're in your current role and, you know, you're looking to get promoted. I mean, I, you know, speaking for myself or people around me that have been very successful, they've taken advantage of different programs and opportunities and information to help them be more successful. So when I'm speaking to, um, when I'm speaking to, to veterans, that's the first thing I said, what have you done? What have you researched? You know, what, what come back to me with, you know, a couple of different uh, approaches that you'd like to take. Well, you know, ha well, have you ever heard of Google? You know, I mean, it's, 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 it, there's so much out there. Um, and I said, I, I've had the, the privilege of working a little bit more closely too with the Gary Sinise Foundation. I was embarrassed how little I knew about what they do in so many different dimensions um, for existing service members, for spouses of service members, uh, and for veterans entering the workforce, and I can only imagine, you know, the hundreds of thousands of veterans we have every year uh, moving into the civilian sector, you know, not recognizing that. So there's that personal accountability first, um, and then it's all of, you know, organizations like Ronstad and the ones that we've mentioned and the corporations, you know, throughout the U.S., um, ensuring that they're doing everything they can to maximizing the reach, you know, of, of, of that access in those programs. Really, really good stuff. Uh, last thing I'll just mention, just as an aside, I, when you made, when you mentioned like, well, what are you doing? What, you know, take advantage of what opportunities are available to you, et cetera, et cetera. I was watching this was on the plane the other day and I watched this documentary about Julia Child. Trish, I think I mentioned it to you the other day. Julia you Child. You really love this the, documentary, the French Steve. cook. Well, it keeps coming <laughs> up. It keeps, it's applicable. You know how Julia Child learned how to cook? like as well as she did, she went to the French cooking school, the Cordon Bleu, paid for by the U.S. Army. She was in the army. Really? And yeah, and after World War oh, II, the, the army paid for her to go get, go to cooking school in France. How about that? Okay. I go. feel like you're going to have a new book out, like everything in life can be related to Julia Childs. I mean, that that's well, where I'm we are. To, <laughs> to her. She's, she's quite something. So, all right. All right. Uh, and that was true, though. I didn't make that up. So, Greg, this has been great stuff. I really do appreciate you uh, sharing some of your experiences, some of your background and the history, some of the things that Ronstadt's doing, and, and honestly being like really frank about some of the challenges that exist too, right? For for folks who are exiting the service, I, you know, I, I feel bad like I didn't really think of it that way either. Like a lot of the folks who are exiting or have exited in the last, you know, decade or so, really do are have a lot of challenges that maybe we don't always think about and always appreciate. And we need to make sure that we're aware of them and also uh, doing what we can uh, through what we do and through what organizations and, and working with great partners like Ronstead to do to support these folks, because they've really, they've given a lot for all of us, right? There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Uh, Greg, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate you taking some time uh, to join us. We'll put some links to some of the resources that we talked about in the show notes as well. And uh, thanks so much. It's great to meet you and, and, and great to have you on, on the show today. Likewise. Thank you, Stephen Trish. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak. 
Thank you. Awesome. Good stuff. Trisha loved it. Great, great stuff. I'm glad we came back to this topic after a really long time away. Uh, and let's not wait too long to do it again. So um, uh, for our guest, uh, Greg Peglieri from Ronstad, uh, for Trisha McFarland, my name's Steve Bowes. Remember, you can catch all the show archives for all the shows on the HR Happy Hour Network. Go to hrhappyhour.net. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next time.